So it's the Advent season. And as was highlighted in communion, in our communion moment, the Advent season isn't just about the coming of a baby, but it was the coming of our Savior. It was the coming of a Messiah. And Jesus, as much as we think of him in baby form during this season, didn't stay a baby. And so it's important when we consider this Advent season that we, that we look beyond just baby stage and we look at who Jesus really is and what he really came to do. Otherwise, you know, we can just get stuck in nursery mode and, and happy birthday Jesus mode. And, and that's appropriate and it's fun and it's, and it's lighthearted, but that's just beginning to scratch the surface of, of kind of the richness of this season. When Jesus came to earth, he came to show us what God looks like, how God is, who God is. And he showed us that perfectly, God fully in man. And as Jesus walked and did his ministry and lived his life, as he obeyed his parents, can you imagine the condescension that took place in Jesus's heart to go from ruling the universe to being ruled over by a teenager? We make all our mistakes with our first kid. Well, I mean, maybe you didn't if you, right? Or you're like, whatever, I want with my kids. Yeah, you will. <laughs> you make your mistakes with your first kid. And here's the king of the universe being raised by a teenager and her husband. And so you think, of, you know, you think about these things, but you look at the life of Jesus and he had to obey this teenager and her husband. He had to submit to the authorities. He had to submit to the Roman government. He had to submit to the teaching in the, in, the, in the temple. There's this cool story. So last week we looked at Luke chapter 2 and, and we looked at uh, Simeon and Anna. Towards the end of that chapter, you see that Jesus was, was in the temple. His family left him and they came back and they're like, what were you doing? He's like, I'm in the temple. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then he says, and then he obeyed them from then on. A 12-year-old obeying his parents. That's a miracle. <laughs> right? Jesus could have talked to them about absolutely anything. He could have been like, hey guys, you know, at the campfire, they're heading towards Jericho. And he's like, hey guys, see that moon up there? In about 1900 years, they're gonna launch a rocket <laughs> to that thing. And they're gonna land on it. And they would have been like, what's a rocket? <laughs> right? And he could have been like, hey guys, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you famous. Here's the recipe for Popeye's fried chicken. <laughs> he could have done anything he wanted. He had all the knowledge, all the power at his disposal. He could have told them anything. But he didn't waste time with trivial things because he's not me. <laughs> he was focusing on the most important things. He was making sure that everything he said and everything he did reflected the nature and the character of the Father. He wasn't representing just himself. He was representing the Godhead. And he was careful not to waste time. He was careful not to waste words. He was careful not to waste an interaction. And he's teaching us in each of these moments about the heart, the nature, the character of God. And so in every account that we look at, it's not just, wow, look what Jesus did. It's, wow, look at this expression of the Father in Jesus Christ. When we look at, when we read the Bible, it's not just, oh, look at these things that Jesus did. No, no, the Bible is the written expression 
of the heart and mind of God, where Jesus is the manly expression of the heart and mind of God. He actually, it is fully God. The word is the written expression of that. And that's why we read our Bibles. Because in it, we can know God. In it, we can see God. In it, we see his character. We see his nature. We learn about him. And he convicts us and he changes us and he calls us up. Terry, you're going to come up here someday and you're going to come up here today. We're going to do it. Come on, come up here. I want to, so hey, sorry for the audible sound, guys. I need this microphone over here. Yay. So Terry, Terry is one of the heroes of this church and you might not even know that. So you can go ahead and clap for him. Terry once walked 3.1 miles in this hallway just to set up in the morning. It's not (laughs) 3.1 miles in the hallway. I'm just saying, but that's not actually the reason that he's a hero of mine. About a year and a half ago, here, you can hold that. About a year and a half ago, I challenged our church to start reading the Bible for five minutes a day. You don't have to read the whole thing. Just five minutes for five days this week. And this man came to me and he's like, I'm going to do it. Can I tell on you? Can I tell him what I gave you? You can tell him, yeah. I gave him my favorite study tool. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it's for sale in our resource center. If your heart has ever been pricked by the gospel, that thing will bring you to tears. Because it does a great job. And I'm speaking from my own perspective. I was like trying to read it for my kids. And I'm like, it's so good. (laughs) He's so good to us. But what the Jesus Storybook Bible does is it shows us how the whole Bible points to Jesus. Like Pastor Eddie was talking about this morning. The whole Bible from Genesis all the way through. The story of Joseph is about Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus. David, a foreshadowing of Jesus. Right? Are you, you see an Esther, a foreshadowing, or a type of Jesus. You start to see these things work out in Scripture, and you're like, my God, you've been pointing at Jesus this whole time. Yes. And so I gave that to Terry, and he, and he was reading it, but he was also reading um, just, a, just a, a standard adult version Bible. Right? And, and, um, and so can you, just, can you just share what God's been doing as you've been studying? He brings me an update every week. And it's actually one of the most encouraging parts of my every Sunday. I, I actually, I look for him. He looks for me. And I'm like, what'd you get this week? And this man was bringing me revelation from Job. Just in case you don't know, Job had the worst life ever. He had the best life ever than the worst life ever. And then he had a pretty good life that was kind of had this heart, this like soft grace of having lost everything, but gained some other stuff. But you know, you're never the same once you've lost everything. Right? But he's bringing me from like before he got to the end. He was telling me the good news. And so can you just share about what God's been doing as you've been reading the Bible? Good morning, Grace. Uh, I have a testimony for you. And Pastor Dave and I have been talking about it for about a year and a half. And uh, it's it's pretty short and pretty sweet and and pretty special. So here it is. Uh, I'm 51 years old. And I've tried to live my life as best I could. And I've considered myself to be an infant in the knowledge and understanding of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I was able to confess that to Pastor Dave about a year and a half ago. After he challenged this congregation consistently just to read the Bible for five minutes a day. And if you ask my family, I do a lot of reading. And in my adult life, I've read a lot. But I have not read the greatest story ever written in its entirety. So I started reading five minutes a day. And I started reading names in the Bible about people that I hadn't read about before. And God pricked my heart. And five minutes turned into 15 minutes, turned into seven days a week. 
seven days a week. And it's such a part of me now that when I think, when I fly for business and I feel like I'm going to miss my flight, and I don't read for 15 minutes before I get to the airport, I ask the good Lord to forgive me because my humanity got in the way and it stopped me from doing what I want to do first and foremost every day, which is read the greatest story ever told. And because Pastor Dave received me at 49 years old in human terms, but young in the spirit, I was able to say to him, I'm an infant in spirit. I'm an infant in understanding God. I'm an infant in understanding the Trinity. And he gave me a young person's book to read about the Bible. So now the blessing is I read the young person's book, and I understood what I was going to read in the Bible. And as I started reading the Bible, I lost one. I lost the Bible my wife gave me on a business trip. And I almost cried. And I told Pastor Dave, and he said, you lost it, but that means somebody else found it. So I shared the word and didn't even realize it. And in the end, I learned to read. Yeah. I shared the word, and I learned to read the word on my phone that I felt like was the wrong device to study the word of God. And there is no wrong device to study the word of God. Amen? So then here's the summary. I confessed to Pastor Dave all these things at Dave and Gabby's wedding. And Pastor Dave goes to the car and comes back, and he gives me a Bible. He gives me a Bible that I can read and understand. Lord help me. So I want to encourage you that, that five for five is for real. And if you start reading the greatest story ever told, you will never be able to put it down. And five minutes will turn into the time that God wants to spend with you in his word. Did Amen. I get it right? Thank you. <laughs> Love you, man. I have to say one more thing. He's got notes up here. He, you, I, 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 when I stick to the notes. Okay, okay, got it. But yeah, he's got notes it goes really here. well. He's got notes up here. So, so thank you, Pastor. We love you. I told your mother last week we love you, that you're a treasure and you're, you're a resource for this church. And I told you that we would be the fourth element. And you can tell them about that when you're ready, okay? <laughs> I love you, man. We got gold, frankincense, myrrh, and sterling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> love you, man. <laughs> yeah, we got to read our Bible. It's not a burden. Jesus desires to speak to us. And the Bible is the primary way and the primary place that he does it. And he gives us a vocabulary when we read the Bible so that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we know what we're hearing. Because he'll use the Bible to speak to us and to challenge us and to call us up and to encourage us. So that wasn't on my notes. <laughs> but what is, is God brought the most important message. And it wasn't about economic reform, though economy that lines up with the will and the purposes of God, uh, economy that lines up with that will be reformed. It was not about social justice, though people who are li in line with the gospel and the plan and the purpose of, of God will be compelled to be socially responsible. There are people in our church movement who have started organizations to fight sex trafficking. There are people in our congregation who have started international uh, ministries to feed malnourished people and to stimulate the economy of poor, of poor areas. 
the, the message that he brought was the extraordinary news that Jesus didn't come looking for people who were perfect so he could high-five them. He was looking for people who could confess their weakness and confess their brokenness and confess their hurt and confess their pain and confess their sin and confess that they're infants and confess that they're, they're low so that he can bring them up and so that he could do all of those things for us. Today I want to look at uh, the story of Zacchaeus. It's a, it's a little kid's story. In some ways in our minds we think of it that way, right? Zacchaeus, oh I know that's a little guy who got in the tree and looked at Jesus. And I think that's how we think of it, but there's more to it than a little kid's story. And that's why I know we've only got like five story, kid storybook Bibles out there, but if you bought one, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's more than, than for a, a child, but it's, a child can understand it. All right, so we're looking at Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. I want to look at a process Zacchaeus went through, and then I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about, what, uh, here's what I want to do. I'm going to, instead, I'm going to talk to you about what God did to Zacchaeus and how we can be confident God is coming after us and how we can be confident that God is going after our community. And then I want to, I want to, I want to close with a statement about how we can respond to God in all of this. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man, named, uh, man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief ta- tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree be, uh, beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in, with, in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This is God's word. God, we thank you for your word. I ask that you would prick our hearts today to be able to receive from you and to respond to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Every time we read an account in Scripture, we need to realize that we are one of the characters in the story. And so often, I watched it as a third party and I didn't realize that I'm actually represented in the story. The reason this is such a tragedy for me personally is because while I thought I was really a third party, I was actually the crowd for much of my life. See, in this story, we can either be Zacchaeus who was hated and despised and knew he was shamed and knew he was separated and knew that he was insignificant and we can be hiding and trying to get a glimpse or we can be the crowd who accuses. For too much of my time, I was the crowd who accused. For too much of my time, I was the guy who was like, oh, that person's, that person's spending too much time with those people. 
That person's not real. This person isn't this way. This person struggles too much. This person has financial problems. Or this person has this kind of problem. This person has relationship problems. Certainly God loves me more because I'm not a mess. And maybe the mmm is the sound of conviction because you've been there too. Where we, where we look and, and we judge other people because we feel like we're on some moral high ground because we're not making a certain mistake. We don't have a certain failure or a certain falling, at least one that's known by other people. By looking at this passage of scripture, we learn a lot about God's priorities. We learn about his nature and we learn about Jesus The reality is we've all been in a tree before. And when I realized that I'm Zacchaeus, my life started to change. When I realized that the reason I was afraid to admit my weakness is because I was afraid that I wouldn't fit in anymore. You know, Zacchaeus wasn't just in the tree, I don't think, because of his short stature. Somebody with short stature could have worked his way through the crowd to get to the street, right? People would let a short person through. I think Zacchaeus was in the tree and Zacchaeus was on the outside because of everything that was going on on the inside. It was the short stature of his soul that was the problem. See, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. And ta- tax collector, he was, a, he was a Jewish man who basically sold out to the Roman go- government and he collects, collected taxes for, for Rome. So he was, a, he was a sellout to the Jewish people. Worse than that, tax collectors were allowed to, by Roman law, shake people down for a little extra. So not only was he representing the foreign oppressing government, but he was shaking people down for extra and it was going into his pockets. He was a sellout to his people. And he was despised. And I imagine that he walked around with much shame. That's why, that's why it's so significant that he says that he, this is a true son of Abraham. That's why when he said salvation has come to this home, you're a true son of Abraham. Because up until that point, he had been selling out his people and not being as a son of Abraham. Some of you have been in a tree. And you remember that tree. When you looked off and you wondered if God would accept you, if he would, if he would love you. Some of you are in a tree today. Some of you are here this morning and you're not quite sure why, but you're here and you're just kind of peeking and you're like, I'll give it a try and I'm going to look, but you're afraid of being uncovered. You're afraid of being known. You're afraid of being exposed. I want to encourage you, first of all, that that there's there's nothing you could say or do that would shock at least me. There's probably very little that you could say or do that would shock most of the people here. I can be careless with my words and most of the people who could be shocked are gone. <laughs> but we won't be shocked or embarrassed or, or scared because there's nothing new under the sun. There's new versions of old sins. And the same things we struggle with today are the same things that they struggled with 2,000 years ago. Are the same things that Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve struggled with. And you'll see that God, Jesus walked up. I, Jesus saw him all the way down the street. He just waited till the time was right. 
And so Jesus sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. He knows he's here. He knows he's got this divine appointment coming. Divine appointments surprise us, right? When you're at Starbucks and somebody walks up that you haven't seen in a year and a half and goes, I've got questions about religion. You're like, surprise. It didn't surprise Jesus. That happened to my wife recently. And so it doesn't, it doesn't surprise Jesus. He knows he's coming. He knows he's got this appointment with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus doesn't know he's got the appointment, but Jesus does. And he gets there and he looks up and he draw, He gets close to Zacchaeus, close enough to have this conversation with him and to call out to him and to give him a direction, close enough that his sin would have been known. Now, Jesus isn't surprised. He's not scared of. He's not, he's not grossed out by Zacchaeus' sin and the fact that he's a sellout to Jesus' people, even though everybody else is. He knows this guy's sin. And while it deals specifically with our sin, this passage does, and it's primarily about salvation, I want to let you know that God also calls to us in depression. And he says, come out and I'll be your hope. He calls to us in loneliness and says, come on, I'll be your friend. I'll be close to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. He calls to those who are broken hearted and says, I'll mend it together. He calls to those who are, who are lost and says, I'll give you direction and I'll give you purpose. He calls to us in our pain and says, I will be your healer. Jesus wasn't walking by, wasn't just going to walk by. He wasn't satisfied to leave him in the tree. Just standing there is in, in his shame and insecurity. God is calling you. God is calling your family. God is calling our community in the same voice that he called Zacchaeus, in the same voice that he's called you, in the same voice that he's called me. But I want you to notice that God didn't start with everything that needed to change. He's like, bro, come down out of the tree. We're partying at your house. He didn't lead with Stop it, you sinner. You're stealing from all these people in front of the crowd. I mean, he could have had some real umph. He could have had a real moment with everybody supporting him. Instead, he's like, come on down. We're having a party at your place. It's just us. We need to start with relationship because that's how God calls us. He calls us first and primarily into relationship. He says, come quickly. Don't drag your feet on this, Zacchaeus. Your day of salvation is now. Don't drag your feet, Zacchaeus. Come down now. I've got something for you. You need to know something. Your life needs to change. Come on. It's been long enough. I will say that God calls us as we are, but he doesn't let us stay that way. And you can't spend a whole lot of time with Jesus before you realize that you got to change. Before you realize that you're not as holy or as right or as good or as righteous as you thought you were. Um, you know, it's kind of like, have you ever seen something and you're like, That's, that is a white piece of paper. You know, and you printed it out at your work or something like that. And then the new ream of paper starts coming out of the printer. And you're like, that's white paper. And you hold them next to each other. And one is white and one's like a mother of pearl. 
And you're like, I can't turn this in. I can't give this to a client. I can't give this to my professor. I got two different kinds of paper. The first one looked white until it was really up against something that was brighter white. We feel like we're okay. We feel like we're good. But we get up along Jesus and we begin to realize, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I'm not as pure as I thought I was. My sin isn't as clean as I thought it was. The way I'm living my life isn't as just as I thought it was inside of the justice, the righteousness, and the purity of Jesus. So we get up along Jesus and we realize one of us got to change. Got to change? One of us needs to change. (laughs) What am I listening to? (laughs) One of us needs to change and one of the most extraordinary things about Jesus is he never changes. That's really comforting and really frustrating because I would like him to be okay with me doing whatever I want. But he's not because he doesn't change. But because he doesn't change, we can rest in his promises. Because he doesn't change, we know he'll never leave us. We know he'll never forsake us. We know his power and his love will not fail. We know that he'll bring what he started to completion. We know that he's faithful to himself, even if we're faithless. That's what conviction works like with Jesus. It's like he shows us righteousness, and then we realize our sinfulness. And we've got to respond to this conviction by obedience. What's amazing about Our response, and actually, you know what? I'm going to save that till the end. The love of God, as we respond to God's pruning, the reason he convicts us, the reason he's so passionate about that is because he wants to rip out anything in our life that's not like him. Because he wants better for us. He never takes something away because he wants to give you something worse. It's the hardest thing to believe, isn't it? Yeah. Can we just get a big hearty amen for that? That that is the hardest thing to believe, that he never takes something from us just to watch us hurt. The only time he takes something from us is because he wants to give us something of even greater value. And it's impossible to see sometimes in in this life. It's impossible to see in the season we're in, but that's where we can trust. And we've got this resume that we find in scripture of, of his faithfulness for the thousands of years before and we see his promises for the future and we, we can just stand and trust even when we don't understand. But the love of God changes us. It transforms us. It's, what's amazing is with the cross, Jesus took an instrument of death and, and made it a symbol of love. He does the same thing with our life. In the case of Zacchaeus, he was so impacted by Jesus that he decided to refund the money and to pay back what was stolen. And his just response, he was like, this isn't right. I'm going to make things right. I'm going to go. He went from being the source of theft and robbery and and, uh, oppression to being a source of blessing 
to his community. God changes us and he transforms us. I used to think that because I was a virgin until I got married, that I was pure. And so I didn't realize that I needed Jesus to purify my heart. Other people who've messed up or been promiscuous, they need to be purified, but I'm pure. No, 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 abstinence doesn't make you pure. It can be a reflection or a part of purity. But even even abstaining from a thing, we still need to be purified. We still need to be cleansed and made into something new. I just couldn't imagine what that new thing was because I thought I was the pinnacle of it. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. But then as I got close to Jesus, I realized he's the pinnacle of it. I'm a long ways from him. Zacchaeus would still have a terrible reputation to overcome. He had habits and attitudes and ways of thinking and ways of living and a lifestyle that would have to be, uh, that would have to change. And now the hard work of walking it out begins because he's got to go back to the office on Monday and live in the decision that he made at church. Yeah, hey guys, so I'm the chief tax collector. I'm in charge of all of you. And just so you know, things are going to change around here. We're going to do it right. Sometimes God will call you to turn the light on in, in the club. Not literally. I don't want you to get shot. You know what I mean. Turn the light on at the party. Sometimes they'll call you to be the person who lives pure in a group of people who are living ratchet. Go ahead and snicker. I couldn't think of a better word. I was searching. Don't Google it. It just means bad. Just take that. (laughs) Because the love of God commissions us. When we respond to the gospel, and this is one of the most beautiful things about the gospel, and this is one of the most beautiful things about this congregation, and I need you to hear me on this. It's going to produce a unified and diverse response. This is what I mean. As I respond to the gospel, and I'm changed by the, I'm convicted by the gospel, I'm changed by the gospel. God's going to commission me for a certain work to reach a certain people a certain way. And what it looks like from me is going to look different than it will for you. Because you have different skill sets, you have a different personality, you have different friends, you have a different background, you have a different foreground. I've never heard that said that way. Different trajectory. And it's unified because it's, it's centered on the cross. And it's diverse because we've got different jobs to do in the midst of it. And when a church looks exactly the same and enjoys all the same things and all the same songs and all the same music, 
It's only going to be so varied, the response. Now, it's going to be varied. You're going to have some people called to the mission field, and you're going to have some people called to fight sex trafficking. You're going to have somebody called to recycle and plant trees. And you're going to have some, <laughs> right, save puppies. You're going to have somebody, you know, to do something and something and something, and you're going to get a diverse response. But what I'm most excited about, when I look at you, Grace Covenant, is I get excited because we can reach the entire community. I'm not aware of a people group yet that we can't reach as a people if we get intentional. If we allow the Spirit of God to commission us to do the work of ministry in our families, in our community. But he's going to commission you for a work. And it's going to look different for every one of us. And and that is the beauty and that is the frustration of being at this church. Because I'm going to say something that's going to embarrass you. And you'll be like, that's just what he does. He'll do better later. (laughs) Right? And if you can get over it, maybe your friend can get over it too. If you can get over a Chris Tomlin song, maybe your friend can too. If you can get over a Hezekiah Walker song, maybe your friend too, your friend can too. Right? I just can't wait until we've got enough Latino people in our congregation that we start singing Latino songs. Come on. So, uh, that was a positive response. Just wait till we do it. You'll be like, I don't like that song. (laughs) I didn't do that one growing up. Right? Or somebody gets up and they've got an accent. They're sharing an offering message and and he has a a Hispanic accent. I'm going to love it. But it's going to challenge us as a congregation. So glad Jesus didn't just come for the people that were just like him because it would have just been him. The world is hopelessly lost, desperately sick with sin. God is calling us to himself to be changed by him, to be cultivated by him so that we can go and do the work for him. If I was God, I wouldn't use me. Because I make too many mistakes. But somehow God feels like that is the way that he's most glorified. By using us. We're trying to create a culture where the members of the ministers... We're doing every, I'm doing everything I can. And if you can think of anything that would help us expedite that process, do it. Tell me, say, hey, I got an idea. This will help us become ministers of the gospel more quickly. Or, hey, can you teach me how to share my faith? Or can you, just tell me what you need to know. I, I don't, I'm, we're doing everything we can. And, and I don't claim to have all the answers. But we can get there. We can get there. So how do we respond? And, and, and I've got I've to land. How do we respond to this calling? First, we respond in faith by obeying. Zacchaeus came down quickly. We can rest in knowing that he's the one who's done all the work. Salvation came to his house before he ever did a thing. All he did is believe and make a statement of faith. Turn from what he had been doing. And Jesus is like, salvation is here, man. You got it. We can rest in knowing that 
It's not on our performance, but on his performance. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. We need to allow him to do that. And what we do, what we want to do is like dodge. We're like, oh, I shouldn't watch this. And then we're like, shut up. Mm, right? Or, oh, I shouldn't watch this. Or, oh, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't eat this. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't do this. I should forgive. I should something, right? And, and right, let it convict you. But don't just let it convict you and just stick on you. Like, respond to it. Yeah, so much I could say there. Let his love bring you rest. Let his love bring you joy. Let let his love bring you hope. Let his love bring you transformation. Let his love fulfill all of those things. The power of his words then haven't lost their power today. They're powerful today. They're powerful right now. They're powerful tomorrow. God is calling us to respond in faith today. He's calling us according to his love, according to his grace, and according to his mercy that we may know him. And that is why we celebrate Advent. Because in Advent, Emmanuel, God came to be with us so that we could see God and we could respond to him.